0: Thinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. This is the Overthinking It Book Club, and we are playing Final Fantasy VI. I'm your host, Ben Adams, back from my side quest with uh, Shana Malosky, and our, our party is reconstituted. We we are back on track. So this is the this is the seventh episode of our book club, and uh, we're discussing what we're now calling what we've been calling Week Five. Uh, which covers from from when you wake up on Sid's Island through through Daryl's tomb. Though, though Shana and I got uh, got got through some of Sid's Island, but we'll be discussing all of that and more. Uh, before we begin, we're we are recording this on Cyber Monday, uh, so I'm I'm failing in my overthinking at duties if I don't shamelessly plug our gift guide. Uh, you can find the, the Overthinking It's gift guide on overthinkingit.com. Uh, you got all sorts of good stuff in there, and you can uh, support the website, support this podcast, uh, just by buying the cool stuff that you would already buy on Amazon through our affiliate links. Uh, so in the spirit of shameless plugs, uh, as I introduce our panel, I'll be shamelessly plugging your stuff. Uh, first, we have uh, Justin Bortnick, who who you can also find on the Red Pages podcast at the theredpagespodcast.com. Hey, Justin.
1: Hey, What's up?
0: How's it going? You got anything else you want to plug other than, uh, other than the podcast?
2: Um, not really. Uh, the, web, the URL is actually just redpagespodcast.com. There's no the in there. Um, but our email has a the because our, uh, our co-host set up the original email while he was drunk and does not know our password. So there's a good <laughs> story for you.
0: That's that's spectacular. This is similar to the way that Overthinking It's YouTube page is overthinkits.com dot or, or just at Overthinkit because we couldn't get the uh, you, somebody else had the over YouTube handle Overthinking It. Uh, so so next uh, in the alphabet we have uh, Shana Malosky. Hey Shana.
3: Hey, can you hear me?
0: We can. How are you doing? Thanks for uh, for for keeping me company last week.
3: Oh, thank you uh, for being on the little lonely island, and I I would have flung myself off a cliff had you not been there, so thank you for that.
0: You bet, and in in the spirit of shameless plugs, uh, you have a a young adult novel, which is is quite good. Uh, Do do you want want to plug it here?
3: Thank you. Yes. Um, it's called Hammer of Witches. It's a young adult novel, and it, you can get it through Amazon, but also you should get it through our affiliate link on uh, the Overthinking It website, also in the holiday gift guide.
0: Excellent. Uh, next, we have uh, John Parrish. Hey, John. What up? What
4: up? What up?
0: You, you have the, the Mara Cunningham series. How, how, how's that going?
4: Going very well. The third book in the series, Too Late to Run, was just released. Uh, you can find it on many sites, but most importantly, Amazon.com, which you can especially visit if you click through our affiliate link. Uh, it's the third in a series of gritty crime thrillers set in Boston. Uh, our protagonist does not feed poisoned fish to, to an old man, but she might.
0: Are there airships? Is it is it just there, Boston with airships?
4: Uh, there's a there's a Beat up late model Toyota. Does that count? Uh, yeah, we'll go with it. Woo.
0: And uh, and next we have uh, Richard Rosenbaum, author of "Raise Some Shell" about the Ninja Turtles and a novel "Revenge of the Grand Narrative." So, so a man for all seasons.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, for uh, fall and spring, I guess.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, we'll work on we'll work on some of those other seasons. <laughs>
1: I I have written
0: nothing, uh, so uh, you know you can you can. So, I don't know. There's probably an author out there named Ben Adams. You can buy some of their stuff through an Amazon, you know, link through Overthinking It. Uh, but we are we're into week five, so let's just jump right in it. Uh, I, I think uh, I think we had some some interest in discussing airships. What, what do you guys think of, uh, of ships of the air? I mean, okay.
3: you're you're the master, Ben, right? Uh, maybe not yeah, of there's... the air, but if you were living in a fantasy world, I assume you would be um, a lawyer of the air and sea, correct?
0: That is that is true. I do have experience with with you know sea ships or just ships as, as they're frequently referred to, and uh, <laughs> I, I am now a, uh, a lawyer. So yeah, that, that's true. I could be the uh, the lawyer on the airship in case anybody gets in trouble.
4: I do need How to I weigh just... in on. I do need to weigh in on one thing. It is, and I know our, our position is to you know take the media as it comes and not try to impose our own value so on. But I think it's kind of bull honky that Setzer owns the world's only airship. And then after it crashes and after the rest of the world has been blown up, he's like, oh, no, there's another airship. Let's go get it. It's right over this way. Like, come on, dude. There's another airship. Like, why did you leave that in a hole in the ground?
3: Because he was sad about his girlfriend. Come on. Yeah, don't you have a, lot a heart?
1: Of, had a lot of uh, painful memories attached to it, which, you know, you know you, I think there are enough painful memories after the world has been destroyed. You don't have to go digging up more.
2: And how many airships does one
1: man really need? Yeah, yeah literally digging up more painful memories.
3: Well, um, if I recall from this part of the game, uh, Daryl, who had that other airship that crashed... The issue was that she flew the ship too close to the stars, or I guess the sun. It was too high up in the air. So maybe Setzer thought that that was a sign that you shouldn't try to do too much. Maybe that's why he decided that he was just going to take life as it comes, sort of risk, you know, uh, roll the dice. He wasn't going to have ambitions and one of those ambitions would be to dig up an airship and save the world. But that's, he's not that kind of guy. He wouldn't do that on his own. Of course, when you uh, and the party come and you say, no, Setzer, we're digging up this airship, you know, he's going to go with it, but uh, on his own, you know, he's not that much of a risk taker, uh, despite the fact that he, uh, you know, plays games of chance or whatever. Um, so I think, yeah, that there's a little bit of interesting psychology there. Don't you think he doesn't, he doesn't want to fly too close to the sun, like his girlfriend who died and who might be Go-Go? You, we'll talk about that next week.
1: Also, you probably shouldn't build your airship out of wax. Um,
3: possibly. Well, I mean, it was wax and
1: feathers, right? That's a good lesson for us all. Yes.
3: Actually, speaking of which, this is the part of the game with all the dove symbolism. So Yeah, with that it, weird bird. So maybe uh, you have to bring the party to him and say, you know, just like that dove is still flying, you are going to still be flying, Setzer. You're still going to be flying. And then he, he, he did. So he needed Celis, really, to uh, be that person. Uh, she, you needed her to go from uh, the sort of uh, cool-hearted, uh, gritty, badass soldier to the you know we're going to be hopeful we're going to fly on and defeat this evil so yeah there, there you go that's that's my new theory on how setzer and Cellus work
2: together yeah this together. is where wind beneath your wings plays in the <laughs> movie adaptation
3: well yes that's part of the opera that we didn't see because you know uh, there was an ultra situation and then a you know, airship coming in situation. It was just a whole mess. But yes, when uh Our rings would have been playing.
1: Yeah. Are we meant to are we meant to think that um, that Celis was nursed back to health by a seagull? <laughs> I just want to be clear about that. She jumps uh... off the cliff and then seems to be really angry at this seagull for not letting her die?
3: I, <laughs> Is that just
1: the translation that I've got?
3: You know, I... Don't know, I, I don't know about nurse,
4: nurse back to health. <laughs> Maybe just poked until she wakes up from the jump <laughs> off the cliff. I don't
3: know.
1: My, on, on, the, on the PlayStation version, at least, it literally says, why did you nurse me back to health?
3: Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't remember that line. Oh, by the way, wait! I just remembered the airship, the Daryl's airship. It's called Falcon, right? Uh. It's also a bird. Cause, so my theory is correct, basically. So,
0: so given my limited understanding of how birds, you know, feed their young, I don't even want to think about how that bird actually nursed you back to health.
3: <laughs> well, I, there were
1: fish but, involved,
0: right?
3: Oh. Yeah.
0: Maybe that's why she's so upset about why why the <laughs> bird nursed her back to health.
3: <laughs> Dude, gross. Actually, can we talk about the bird or – oh, no. Yeah. I think we talked about it last week. Oh. Never mind. I don't remember yeah, but, what we talked about last I week. I am starving I to death.
0: I mean, the bird is the word, but I don't think we talked about it last week, at least not too much.
3: Did we talk – no, never mind. I think we did. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what? You know what else we can talk about? Saban holding up an entire house. That's <laughs> that's pretty amazing because, like, dudes, you know, there's a house, it's collapsing, and you're like, "Oh, Sabin, come help!" And he's like, "Nope, hang on, I'm just going to hold this house up for like six more minutes." <laughs> so if you can if you can get in there, wrap this up pretty quick. But I'm good otherwise. Like I I've got it. I'm I'm a load bearing martial artist.
3: Well, the, I think we said this last week, too. It's funny how most of the characters in this part of the game, they just sort of have to rethink their entire life. Um, you know, the world is over. I don't have a party anymore. What What do I do? Who am I? Um, You know, we said the very first week of this podcast that one of the big themes of this game is um your identity with relationship to time and the past. And if you have no past or your past was destroyed by something, how do you continue living? How do you, con- what's your conception of yourself? Um Saban doesn't have that. <laughs> you just, you go up to him, he's holding up a house and the line that I have written down here, he says, you think a minor thing like the end of the world was going to do me in? That's it. That's all he says. <laughs> So yeah, he's he's a simple guy. You take him to the opera, he says, maybe not as a joke. Why are they singing? And you gotta respect this guy. He just he takes things as they come. He unlike almost any other character in this game know, uh, knows exactly who he is. He is if he's not gonna save the world, he's gonna save the people in this house for at least the next six minutes. And I uh, props, Steven.
4: Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to to want much of the world other than getting better at martial arts. I mean, his one side quest, which we we can talk about more next week, involves getting getting better at the martial arts, like reaching peak achievements. So it's it's really just you know personal improvement. It's skill for its own sake. You know, performance for the joy of performance's sake. And I guess, you know, seeking out bigger and better challenges is an embodiment of that. Like, hey, you know, the world ended. I guess I survived that. All right, what else you got to throw at me? Come on!
3: and I mean, it's interesting to compare him to Edgar because obviously they're two sides of the same coin. Anyway. You know, he Edgar has this weird, I, I wouldn't even call it sub-quest, just this little story where he's pretending to be some other person. He puts, in my translation anyway, he puts on this weird Cockney sort of accent, but a very stereotypical Cockney. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to me why one brother, like they grew up in the same place and they're supposed to be opposites, why one brother is just so cool with himself and yeah it, it, he's just very achievement oriented and then Edgar sort of it seems like at the beginning anyway that he doesn't want to be king anymore right? he's just like this thief. and we learn later on that it's just all a ruse but I don't know what, what did you guys think of that whole Edgar plot it was very confusing to me um, I'm not exactly sure what he was going for there
1: yeah it is pretty vague <laughs>
3: All right, so maybe it wasn't just me. Maybe it was either the translation or it was just not well uh, conceived by the writers. I don't know. One
4: one thing to note is that Edgar, Edgar took on the role of King of Figaro pretty much out of duty. Like, if you recall the flashback scene, the flashback dream sequence between he and... Edgar doesn't exactly seem to love the idea of becoming king, but it's like, well, dad's sick and one of us needs to be king. And Sabin's like, no, that's sick. I don't want it. But Edgar's never like, Edgar doesn't exactly jump on the opportunity. There's no peaceful reconciliation. Like, great, you don't want to be king. I do want to be king. This works out great for both of us. Uh, It has to be settled by a coin toss. So, and that plus given his technical acumen as well, which I think... Can be implied as as being more of his interest. Maybe that's the implication. Maybe it's that he's he's always been a reluctant king. He'd much rather be chasing skirts and inventing chainsaws and and other stuff like that. So if he gets the opportunity oh, wouldn't we to all? play, I know, right? So if he gets the opportunity to play, in my translation, it was Gerad, which is a pretty yeah. okay anagram for Edgar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I guess other people can confirm if you name Edgar something other than Edgar, the game doesn't try and find an anagram for your new fictional name does it? That would be nice, but I, I bet
3: that would be cool Yeah, I, no. haven't, I haven't seen that Um, yeah, interestingly, nope. I have in my notes here that I forgot about Um, that when you're in doing that little uh, Edgar quest and you go through the cave um, you in a treasure t- chest can get quote, regal crown armor for Sabin, not for Edgar. Think about that, my friends. And it's huh. interesting that it's right at this point in the game, right before they go back. Um, so, yeah. Did anyone else notice that?
4: The, reg- the regal crown, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I figured out that you can give it to either Edgar or Sabin. Oh, you can! Uh, I-
3: oh, okay. Then maybe it was just that when I optimized my my armor, Automatically went to Saban, which is interesting choice. Computer, hmm. yeah. What, maybe is, what is the maybe game? If I had done Edgar, for, yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. What does the game want me to do? Well, yeah, fine. What and is I the guess in my mind, I unconsciously or subconsciously wanted Saban to be king. I guess I don't know. I'm
2: baffled by how that optimize feature works because I would uh, walk. I would I would get a new piece of gear and hit optimize, and it would change stuff around, and then I would get another piece of gear and go to re-optimize, but it would change a bunch of other stuff that wasn't that new piece of gear. It would cycle through, like, three different weapons for me as I was playing, and I guess they were all equivalent, but I wasn't sure how it was choosing or why it decided one was suddenly better.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that, too, that you you get, like, let's say you get a new uh, weapon, and then, for some reason, (coughs) optimizing uh, will change your hat. <laughs> you know, it was like that's it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty interesting i I wonder how they calculate that
3: yeah uh, maybe it's just a fashion choice the computer it wants what it wants
4: <laughs> so um, this this sequence this series of chapters is also the period where we see Kefka's tower for the first time but we can't actually get there until we get the Airship, which happens remarkably quickly. I mean, we can show up at Kefka's tower pretty quick if we want, but I think we get the impression that's that's not optimal. But that, that's an interesting choice that we can see the final destination from pretty early on in Act 2, but can't actually get there. It just sort of looms in the distance like a, you know, weird, threatening junk tower.
3: It's pretty scary actually. That whole I said this last week, the whole beginning of the world of ruin for me was a little frightening. It was like uh you wake up a and, and if you want you can leave the little area with the um, the little cabin or shack that Citizen and go out into the island into the overworld with the monsters and the monsters are really easy out there to be fair but you're all alone fighting and it was scary to me because if cellist dies like that's it you're dead there are no other party members and you have that scary music like i mentioned last week and then you go to the main continent with your raft or one of the main continents and you see this big honking tower and you know it's it's pretty epic. Uh, epic is an overused word, but, it, you know, for a moment, it's like, whoa, yeah, the world really was destroyed, and this is a very different game than it was before even. Um, I don't know if other people are as frightened by video games as I am, but <laughs> no, it, <laughs> that was it, my it definitely
1: Yeah, it definitely is, is ominous. It's, you you get to this point that where you know that actually the bad guy won, um, but the game can't end there. You know, they have to, you still have to reassemble. Um, And I think that that's one of the major things that comes out, uh, you know, right around here, uh, which is, what is the motivation to go on? You know, why why keep fighting after the world has been destroyed? And a lot of the characters uh, take some convincing.
3: Well, I mean, Yeah. All these people were they were called the returners. Right. And the idea, I guess, for that name originally was that you were going to return things back to the way they were before the empire started, you know, screwing everything up. -hmm. Now you can't be a returner anymore. You cannot return the world the way uh, it was. You cannot go back to the world of balance. It's just physically impossible, and for psychological reasons, it's impossible. You go around these towns, and we've been talking about the quote unquote little people in these towns, and they they are kind of messed up. And not all (laughs) of them. Some of them will learn soon, have new lives and new careers. You know, uh, they've built. uh, You know new buildings for themselves, whatever. Um, But some of them are like, what do I do now? You have, I think it was at this point in the game, where you have the guy who owned a tavern, and it was occupied, uh, the town was occupied by the Empire earlier in the game, and all these soldiers were there um, wrecking things. And he was like, oh, these people, get out of here. And now that the world is destroyed, he's hanging out in his bar, and he's like, I miss the soldiers. Like, what What am I supposed to yeah. do now? How am I supposed to make money when I don't have these people here? Um, you know, how how is our economy going to survive? Um, which is funny because you still have the rich guys in uh, the auction house doing their thing. But, you yeah, know, that, the, that, the rich survive. Don't worry, everyone.
1: Yeah, that is a good uh, point. Actually, I was wondering about how the economy is functioning because uh, GP is still being traded for stuff.
3: And the monsters still have it, so that's it.
1: <laughs> right. Um, but it's you know it's interesting uh, how like, there's clearly no central authority. I mean, I don't know how the banking system works there, why people you know trade the way that they do, or how you how you change uh, how the exchange rate works. Or but like the prices don't seem particularly inflated. After the end of the world, which is kind of surprising,
3: yeah I didn't even think about that that's that's clever they should they should have dealt with that I mean they shouldn't right? have because i don't I don't want the prices to be so different that I would have trouble affording gear um, but that would have been an interesting decision on the part of the designers
2: huh. there's a lot that, that that scarcity comes up in other ways too, right because like you can't buy almost anything compared to what you used to be able to.
3: Oh, I guess I didn't notice that either. See, I haven't played this game in a while, so. Um. See, I don't
2: think you can buy like potions and stuff.
3: Oh, huh,
1: that's cool. I, th- I think there are. I think there are places that you can.
2: Yeah, there, yeah there's I still there's. I mean, there's definitely less. Yeah,
4: I mean, yeah. Th- there are some options that are off the table, but they they tend to upgrade that for like higher end stuff. So, like tonic is no longer for sale, but potions are still available, uh, at least in most of the item shops.
1: Yeah, but a, a lot of the item shops are just like people hanging out outside now because the the actual buildings have been destroyed.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they're still they're still there. They're still you know people are still trying to make a living basically in the same way that they did before the world was destroyed, except that they're afraid now that Kafka is going to just fire the the beam at at them at random and then everything is gone again.
3: Hey, by the way, I don't remember this either. But when you're, um, what was it Moblis, um, where where Terra is with the orphans? like, mm-hmm. There are a ton of orphans there. How how are they surviving? What are they eating? <laughs> like roots and
4: that? stuff. Like I don't know. Like you <laughs> like, know. Why are they staying in scavenged. this
3: little town? Go go somewhere else. I don't know. Because the, um, yeah, the, the
4: town the town's at the other end of the continent. You know, like exactly. it. it it's it's hard to get there. Like, if you're already there, why would you leave? Like you you walked overland and you had to deal with like ninety monsters. How are these kids gonna do?
1: Yeah, I also, I was well, also wondering that uh what exactly were the adults plan go like what was that supposed to be? How how do they let's just stand in the path of the beam so that the kids can't be hit by it? Like that wasn't that wasn't too clear to me. It didn't seem like a well thought out plan. <laughs>
3: no, not really. Um, yeah, I, I guess we talked. We mentioned this briefly last week, but I'd like to hear what everyone who wasn't here last week has to say. Um, what was your reaction to Tara deciding basically that she doesn't want to play the video game anymore?
1: Uh, yeah, she kind of has a she kind of rage quits.
3: Yeah, pretty much. I mean it. You know, because she was essentially the main character of the game, although we differed uh, in our opinions of whether that was the case. Um, you know, uh, but then at this point, uh, she decides that she's she's done. She's not going to let you, the player, control her anymore. But, you know, Jordan said something interesting in the forums where he was um, – I think it was written, was talking about how her plot was basically like the woman plot where she doesn't want to play video games anymore. She wants to go and be a mother and, you know, just like watch all these children. And he also was arguing that, or not arguing, just uh, bringing it up that Stellis also has uh, this sort of girl plot where she um, is going after Locke because she like wants him as a boyfriend or something. But. You know, it's interesting to me how that's not necessarily only for the the women characters, because Cesar also in this part of the game, his plot is all about love. Yeah, okay, sure. it's trying to find this. Airship, but he's also, you know, he's pining for his girlfriend. We're going to learn that Locke is pining for his girlfriend. Uh, Sian also wants a girlfriend. So I think there is something to this game throughout, in, for all of the characters, male or female, um, that uh, you have to re your identity through love, um, but not necessarily the love you had in the past, but like a new kind of love in the present. So Tara was looking for a romantic love, that eventually became sort of a love of her friends in the party, although she didn't really know them well enough to, I guess, really, really love them, which is why she's able to rage quit the game and not feel too bad about it. And now she's found uh, another type of love in these children, and that's where she can find her best identity. Um, it's like, uh, you know, this ancient uh, Greek versions of love, like Eros and Agape and all of those, um, you know, this, uh you know, Tara's like going through all of them until she finds the kind of love that uh, gives her a sense of purpose and a sense of self, which I find cool. Um, you know, and then later on, you can come back to her and ask her if she's going to not just focus the love on her, the particular children in her, in her town, but like all of humanity and therefore use, her powers, not just to save these particular kids, but every kid in the world and every adult in the world. So that was my reaction to Terra. There you go. Oh, also actually speaking of uh, gender, because I wanted to speak about gender, um, and I brought this up with Ben last week we were going to talk about it, and he said, yeah, let's talk about gender in video games. There's no controversy there. No. <laughs> anyway, okay. but um, so I was just saying that the first half of the game, the main character is arguably Terra, and in the second part of the game, you have uh, Stella's, starts out and we haven't really talked about this but uh tara is like the earth and seles is like celestial like the sky guys a eh? which um Dude. think about that guys no but um well,
4: well also it, uh I'm sorry you're you're saying a serious thing go ahead
3: no 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 i want to hear the funny a thing
4: sarah's sarah's thing Sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, also, Terra's magic, or at least the magic she learns innately, not through espers, tends to revolve around fire, and the magic that Celes learns innately tends to revolve around ice. Ooh.
3: Mm, that's true. No, that's not, that's serious. What are you talking about? That's, that's good it's stuff. Like,
4: it's like that Robert Frost poem. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice, and FF6 says, nope, it's ice. Ice is going <laughs> to be around when the world ends. It's ice. Sorry, Adventure's guys. The
3: coming. <laughs> well, no, because it... it, it they are sort of mirror images though. So Terra is Earth, but also she's the character who is like ethereal, like this creature who literally flies through the sky. And Cell is her name is after the sky, but she's more like this down to earth, very pragmatic chick. Um maybe not chick is the best word because she's like a feminist status, whatever. But um it's now back. I'm taking it back. But now it's switched again um, in the second half because now Tara is sort of like the Earth Mother. But Celis is, um, you know, following a bird. She's going into an airship, you know. Um, so it's this interesting back and forth um, between these, like, the way that elements interact with these two characters. But also, if you want to bring Realm into it later, then we can do a whole other type of categorization based on female characters, which you can see in, like, basically all Final Fantasy games post, I guess, 4, where you have, like, the, the 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 three girls, basically, right? So you have Terror, Realm, and Celeste, so you can say Terror is the mother and Realm is the maiden and Celeste is the crone, right? Or Ego, Super Ego, like anything like all of these uh Final Fantasy games are the same, like three women. Like you have, um what do you call from Final Fantasy ten, you got Lulu and so she's like the Solace character and Yuna's like the terror character. They're like all magic and soft spoken, whatever. And then Riku is Realm, like the little girl. And it's just funny to me how um Final Fantasy really uh latched on to these tropes or um yeah, this I don't know. Yeah, I guess tropes is the word I'm looking for. I don't know uh, when it comes to female characters and uh, just keeps running with it game after game after game. I haven't played since uh, eleven, twelve, so I don't know what happened in thirteen and beyond. So but if she I'm also wrong, has three women. oh, so well, are they basically terracellus in Rome? Um.
2: No, they are uh, Lightning, Fang, and Vanille. And Lightning is a soldier like Terra, but much... Or not like Terra, like SLS, but uh, much more serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanille is the go- a goofy space cadet with a super annoying voice who doesn't understand what's going on at all. <laughs> and uh, Fang is like Lightning, but Australian.
3: Oh, okay. <laughs> so they they got rid of the, you know, Yuna Terra Aerith type character completely. It's interesting.
2: Yeah. Cool. Also two, uh, two of them are also like demons, but they don't tell you that for a while.
3: Oh man, this game's so complicated. All right, oh, yeah. I'll play it one day. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, that's my whole spiel about gender. I'm sure there's more there than I'm overthinking. But if anyone wants to talk about that, it's
1: I'll about ethics else. and game journalism, okay?
3: Oh, okay, never mind.
0: Don't okay, don't say heard that heard. three times in a row, or something <laughs> just like pops onto Skype, and we have to.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
0: summon Adam Baldwin.
3: <laughs> oh God. <laughs>
0: So moving right along. <laughs> well, uh, so let me, I let me so ask, let me ask a question. Unless John, you got something on that, I, I want to launch us into a new. Nothing,
4: nothing serious or useful. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh,
0: you said
3: that last time, and then you said something super serious and super useful.
4: This is less of both. Ben, please keep going.
3: <laughs> so let
0: me let me ask you this: this guys, how many party members did you pick up? Because uh, you, you can get to the game with with really only the three. Uh, but at least in this part, did you spend a lot of time going to pick everybody up, you know, gathering all your lost, your lost little, little sheep, or did you just kind of optimize and move on to the end?
3: No, all of them, of course. All of them and more. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, literally, because cool I got I got yeah, yeah. more. <laughs> there you I, you. They
2: don't really make a lot of sense why they join you, but I, I guess they do. You get a Yeti.
1: Yeah, I mean, what else are they going to do?
3: That's a great point. <laughs> What else? Yeah, but
1: it's, it's not really clear what the, what
4: the narrative demand is for them. It's like, yeah, we've got all these people yeah. whose adventures we're really vested in, and oh, they've they've gained and they've lost, and they were there with the, the destruction of the world, and the scarf thing in the worm stomach.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. You, oh, no. Are we talking about this this week? Not, next week we're doing Kepka's Tower, right? So this is still part of this yeah. game, or I don't know what, what week we're doing what anymore.
2: Yeah, Kafka's tower is the last week. It's just the tower. Yes.
3: So. Okay, so that's next week. Or the week after. I'm saying when no, did we talk about the, Gogo? Next week is
0: the last week. Yeah, ne- next week we will we'll finish the podcast. So, so we'll, Gogo is this week, I we'll think, to right? We talk
3: about Gogo now. Okay, so um, I just read today um, not on actual Wikipedia, I mean, it was in Wikipedia, it was in the talk, um, the discussion page, because it was actually deleted from the original. But so there was a theory back in the day, like in the 90s, on on the early internet, about how GoGo was really Adelaide Stevenson, <laughs> and there's, like... <laughs> really ridiculous overthinking here, which is kind of wonderful, where they take all these Stevenson quotations from, like, books, speeches, out of context to prove that he and Gogo are the same person. Like, things about hiding in a bunch of scarves or copying everything other people say. It was just, I don't know who thought of this um, originally, but I think we should put it in the show notes, and everyone needs to look at this and just, Just be in awe of how great people are at overthinking things because I never in a million years could I have done that. And I have some experience overthinking it, but not like these people. So I'm going to I'm going to find that link and I'm going to give it all to you so you can say, yep, that sounds that sounds reasonable, guys.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I'm down with that theory. I don't know anything about it, but I'm down with that theory.
3: I mean, I read the whole thing. It was amazing. I always like the theory that it was Daryl, but I guess that doesn't really make sense because she disappeared Amelia Earhart style. You know, she might have been on a deserted triangle shaped island and been eaten by a worm and, you know, maybe got hit on the head or something. Um and became this person who likes copying people in battle. But of course, that doesn't really make sense because Setzer would probably recognize her, her eyes or her voice. But I did like that theory back in the day, even though it doesn't really make sense. Um, but yeah, I'm going to find that link now so I can send it to you all. But if anyone has anything else to say about GoGo, I'm fascinated by GoGo. <laughs> I mean, there's the. Not as much as some other. Octopus-like characters
2: and yeah, There's, there's the obvious sort of answer, which is it's, uh, it's GoGo from Final Fantasy V, or at least a callback oh, to boo. that. Boo.
3: <laughs> Underthinking. Or,
2: or from, or hey, from Tiny
3: Toons.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the Tiny Toons one. Let's go with that. Yeah. That's,
3: which that's
2: one my is vote. GoGo and Tiny Toons. Um. The bird the, the, that the did, dodo like, Land. oh okay
3: it's like Didn't
2: and uh he w- i think the the theme song said gogo go is insane that's all i remember about him
3: well so then basically same same character all right
1: Yeah. or or from kill bill
3: gogo umaro i believe was the name of that character it it wasn't it wasn't the no. the character something. but it was it was really close so
1: yeah.
4: probably or gypsy rock star Gogol Bordello.
3: Oh, uh-huh. this is some really good overthinking, guys. We're we're, we're pros, doing really well. Yeah.
1: Uh, that goes. Along it's actually with, uh, are, just a pair are, of boots <laughs> under all those cloth. And well, their Their original them. name was going to be uh, Kafka whorehouse. So that there's a Kafka <laughs> Gogol
4: thing. You know, you know if there were if there were a gypsy rock band named Kefka, or a Kafka whorehouse, as you say, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be like, yeah, that, that could be a gypsy rock band. <laughs>
3: um, I was told once that sometimes the, our overthinking at podcasts uh, degenerate into pun slinging, <laughs> and uh, isn't that great? How great is that, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> patting myself or ourselves on the back. It's almost Christmas. We're allowed to do that.
4: I'm for
1: it.
3: So, Um,
4: so long as as we're talking about stuff past, you know, Daryl's tomb and the recruiting of the party, uh, did I miss the Cyan being allergic or scared of machines? Because there's a bit after you recruit him into the party where you can unlock this locked chest in his mountain hideaway... And there are these two manuals on how to operate machines, and Cyan reads them, and he's like, oh, I don't know why I was so scared of machines. This is simple. And it never comes up again.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I remember the books, uh, and I don't remember him saying that, but that is, yeah, he has this interesting personality... I don't know, like, break? (laughs) Is that the right thing to say? I mean, he literally does sort of have a nervous breakdown in this part of the game where you have to go into his mind and there are these, you know, children, you know, uh, I guess representing the bad parts of his psyche and you're fighting his demons, almost literally. Um, But yeah, beyond that, like he doesn't want to deal with machinery, he's catfishing this woman. I... (laughs) I think more than any other character in your party, he's really had a hard time with this end of the world, which, to be fair, makes a lot of sense. He's probably the most tragic character in this game um, in that we've seen his story firsthand. It's not like it was a backstory, like Locke's backstory or Edgar and Saban's backstory. Like We see his backstory as it's happening. We see his kid dying. Um, so, yeah, I understand why he would be um, just having a very big personality shift. Although, you know, eventually then he just goes back to his normal self, I think. You know, he still speaks the same way, for one thing. Um,
4: well, he, but... he, sees, he sees his wife and, and son die, but he also gets to say goodbye to them on the Phantom True. Train, which is right. not an opportunity afforded many many of the other characters. I mean, who who gets to say goodbye to their loved ones before they die? Selez, uh, maybe, depending on the timing of the fish, uh, sets her kind of. Locke, definitely, because Rachel comes back. Sets her kind of, but he, it's just a sort of implied goodbye, not farewell forever. Uh, Cyan, twice, I guess. Uh, yeah, a lot of people get opportunities which are, are not often afforded to us in, in real life. So true Sounds love conquers all. <laughs> they also yes. get, like, via the existence
2: of the Phantom Train, they know that, like, there's an afterlife where they're going to be reunited with their loved ones and everything will be hunky-dory.
3: Yeah, I mean, as long as the train doesn't attack you and then you have to beat it up, yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool, actually. It, you know, you don't really see much religion in this game. I, th- I think we touched on this before. Like, you do have these magical creatures, these espers, you have magic... Um, and yeah, we do know there's an afterlife of sorts. So, yeah, where, where is the religion in this game? You would think after the end of the world, I mean, you have the cult of Kefka. Okay. So that's something. He is godlike. He's throwing down lightning bolts and such. But, um, no one else is really, there are no other cults. Isn't that odd to people?
1: Yeah, like, do you think that could really do with really. the
3: uh, the anti magic taboo that developed? Mm. I mean, again, right? so it much a-
1: trouble.
4: I mean, the only real divinity we're referred to in the game are the quote unquote goddesses, who's right. who exist in the right. form of statues. That if you teeter them out of alignment just a little bit, will completely screw up the world.
0: Well, this I think this is an interesting thing that pops up in a lot of. Pop culture talk, or just myths about magic, is once you introduce real magic into the world, it puts religion in a very kind of interesting, you know, tautological position. Like, for instance, I, I it's never really addressed, but it's always it was always interesting to me that uh, all the Harry Potter or the Harry, all the Harry Potter characters kind of, without really analyzing it all, celebrate Christmas, even though they are all magicians that could presumably perform many of Jesus's miracles with the wave of a wand. Uh, so it's it's kind of the same thing here where it's like when you have an actual being that lives above you and can smite you with, you know, bolts of magical energy in Kefka, it's difficult to then
4: believe that there's some other higher being that might smite you with,
0: you know, magical bolts of energy.
3: <laughs> that may be true.
4: Yeah, I mean, Kefka, and we'll talk about this more in the in the Tower podcast, I guess, but he's godlike and you know, in that his his whims are ineffable and his power is absolute and... There's a place in the world where he supposedly lives, but no one can really go there. So Kefka is gone. There. Done.
3: You figured out the game. Excellent. Well, it's funny, though, because, I mean, this is uh, taking it outside the game. But right after or right before I was going to start. Uh, Kefka's tower in the game, my computer, um, my former computer, uh, short-circuited. So I think what happened was that Kefka destroyed it with his lightning. Um, So that is why I might not be able to play the last part of the game because I lost my save game, so I might just Uh actually watch it on YouTube. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so in this case, uh, Kefka is sort of a god in that he's he destroyed the world for me i i am no longer in the final fantasy 6 world um so that that's unfortunate but you guys you guys go on without me i mean i'll come back next week too to be on the podcast so never mind
1: we'll have to to convince you to come back though
3: oh that's true no i believe in love i believe in the future the children (laughs) they're our future
4: Alright, we'll we'll leave you for a week, but then we're gonna come back with like better Esper's and powers, and this time you'll be convinced to come with us.
3: Well I'm not gonna say no to better gear. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, like what what exactly is it what exactly is it that happens between you leaving Terra for the first time and coming back the second time that convinces her, like, no, okay, maybe you're right, maybe I do need to suit up one more time. Is that just that you guys are slightly more powerful is it you've reached quorum on the old party it's like well if it's a majority okay uh, i'll side with the vote like what uh, what's what's the changing factor in tara's mind
3: well i wonder if it's just that uh, i forget the monster's name that it just keeps coming back um and maybe it's that's just it is that every time your party comes in this monster comes along almost as if it sees you coming um, and Tara's like, at some point you, you can be a mother and you can protect your, the kids by, you know, hiding them away. Or you could say, I'm going to be the mama bear slash Esper form. And I'm going to just, uh, kick this monster out for good. Um, and then she uses that, um, you know, as a sort of smaller version of, uh, kicking Kefka's butt out of. The world so you know you can hide from kefka but he's going to come back and back um so you have to come back and back that's uh, you know the monster keeps returning kefka keeps returning so the returners have to be returning see i'm coming back to that again that's i'm just i'm spitballing here no if none of this makes sense to anyone it makes sense in my mind but there you go so i'm saying it's repetition that does it for her she's just like enough is enough we can't do this anymore
1: Well, it's like she, she talks about, um, having lost the will to fight, basically. And, uh, but really, if the part, if the point, if, if, if what she's found is that it's taking care of these kids that is the, the kind of love that she's been looking for and it's what gives her life meaning. But if she can't fight against the actual threats, then there's no point in, in being there in the first place, they can't exactly. if they can't uh, if they can't feel secure that that she has not just the ability, but the willingness to to go out and fight um, when it's when it's necessary to protect them, then there's not really much point in being there in the first place, no matter how much she loves them.
3: Well and also she says when the monster comes the second time that um her thing has always been that she was afraid and you know, they always say in some religion, I forget which one, um, that you know, the fear, fear of opposites. that's no, the yeah, one no. yeah, there that I should know that because um I am uh how do you actually say it? Benny gessera I don't remember. Bene but yeah. No but Benny Gesserit. I'm wanna Yes, right. Yeah, it's me. Um, yeah, so it could just be that her love for the kid over the course of the second half of the game just got so strong that, it, like, it's sort of like a like points in a video game. She had fear levels and then she had love levels, and her love levels just got high enough that they overcame the the fear level. So it, um, she was ready. So there you go. <laughs> I have all these theories. They make perfect sense, guys. Yeah, I'm with you. Good. <laughs> we have the best party. We are going to defeat any any monster that comes our way. Um, totally. Did did um, any of you do the secret Figaro under the cave that is under the castle bit, or was I the only one? Where you um, try to take the castle under the desert and it gets stuck.
4: Of course, I mean not for not for real story reasons. More because that's the only way you can get the esper that'll teach you quick. And with quick, you can oh, totally yes. spam the game.
3: <laughs> that's true. I've never actually used it. Well, what's what's your strategy?
4: Just use it. Like have everyone learn it. Like get, make sure the person who has gem box and. Uh, what's the other what's the other one the jewel box and economizer make sure that person learns quick and ultima and nothing nothing matters anymore like (laughs) like you make your own laws
3: you are the god (laughs) um I just, I, I vaguely remember the flashback in the game where you go back to the War of the Magi and there's, um you know, another sort of Romeo and Juliet-like story where the queen is in love with, uh, the quote here is, I realize now that I'm in love with Odin, but this breaks every rule of our society. Um, which is, and then you have, uh, what was it, like a statue of the queen that starts crying. it's It's, so wonderfully uh, overwrought. Um, and like that part of the story I thought we had left behind. Like we, this part of the game, we don't really talk about the Magi anymore, except for right here. Um, we don't really talk about Terra's parents anymore. It's like all of that backstory is back in the past, unless you do this like little secret level under the castle. So you can just really ignore it. Um, so that's something that strikes me that, you um, you do have all these espers that you use now to fight monsters or whatever, but uh, espers as characters have really fallen away as important figures. We're looking more to the present and the future than to this race of beings that, you know, most of them have been killed off, which is kind of sad, but we're just sort of ignoring them. They're They're not important at all anymore, don't you think?
1: It
4: is it is an odd detour in that you know we, there there's no there's no character or character's backstory associated with it uh, like like the giant worm whose belly you fall down when you find gogo uh, and even then you at least get a new member of the party out of it whose, whose powers are pretty cool. in this case it's just no here's a castle where some stuff happened and you can pick up some espers which is pretty cool but you don't have to and the game will power on regardless.
3: Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, in the past, all of the where the Magi stuff had been associated with Terra. But at this point in the game, Terra might not even be in your party, so it can't have anything to do with her. Um, Yeah, so it just has to be a completely separate little side story that you might not have any emotion it might not have any emotional resonant resonance to you as a player um and it didn't really to me either which is why i just said it was sort of overwrought and soap opery because you don't feel for the characters because you don't know them they're not they're not your player uh player characters so yeah, yeah that is a funny little thing um let's see i'm bit. just looking at my notes and seeing what else. I mean, there were a bunch of weird bits in this part of the game. Um, da da da. Like, uh, oh, the Coliseum was built. Uh, Ultras is a receptionist, of course. Awesome.
4: <laughs> yes, his finest hour.
3: He's I'm glad that he was able to now. find work
2: in a post Kefka world. Only...
3: <laughs> and Shadow's there too, he's and he's, he like, to. he's like. He's like all I know is how to fight (laughs) and you know, he seems sort of resigned to it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting that Ultros, um, who, yeah, he, he's found a, a job, like a nine to five job and he's happy and shadow is fighting as a nine to five job. Um, and seems not really pleased about it. But, you know, Shadow doesn't really seem pleased about anything, so I don't know. It's a, I'm saying it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition right so, now.
0: So what does it say about Ultros that when the, world, when the rest of the world is at peace and normal, he is like this agent of chaos running around, like, destroying and fighting people. But then after the world is over, he's the one guy with a nine-to-five job.
3: <laughs> well, the Coliseum guy is really happy. He was like at the beginning of the game when you walked into his house, he's like, I'm gonna build a Colosseum. And you're like, yeah, okay, guy. Um, and now he's, he's done it. And when you talk to him, like, he's really happy that, um, you know, that the world is destroyed and at war because he got to do what he loves. And he gets to see like everyone fighting and like basically like battle to the death, you know, uh, Mad Max. Thunderdome situation. So, yeah, he, he and Ultros are doing well. On the other hand, Ultros, he seems happy and he has this 9-to-5, but he's also in debt, he says, right? <laughs> thats I don't know exactly how that happened. Um, well,
4: yeah, he, he blew his paycheck renting Chubo, or whatever his translated name is, for oh, that one hung? fight with you. Uh, <laughs> ch- yeah, whatever his name is, for that one fight on the airship with you guys, and then he, he that fight sort of came to a stalemate and he was like well i need my money sneeze. and those like
3: hospital <laughs> bills
4: yeah or no <laughs> that actually fl-
3: kafka doesn't you know there's no kafka care <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah that is so does Ultras think. work
2: for kafka does that ever get established like who who he's working for cuz he seems like he's such a middle management sort of villain
3: mm I mean, in other games, he definitely would have been. That's normally how these, um, mini bosses go. You know, like in Final Fantasy VII, you have the Turks and they're like, uh, you know, underlings of the, the big bosses. Um, yeah, but in this one, Ultros just seems to be some, I don't know, freelancer. <laughs> he's yeah, not really. He's just,
1: he's just like messing with
3: you. Which I find charming. It's very similar to Kefka, like, Kefka's um, an agent of chaos, and Ultros is, but in a m- more humorous way, although I find Kefka humorous. But, you know, he's the silly version of Kefka, let's say that. Well, it's
1: really personal with Ultros, right? Like, he was very offended that that the party defeated him. And so oh, that's true. He's gone after them to, like, kind of, to pay them back for that. Um, but it just never works out for him. Poor thing. But now see, revenge is not the way to go. You have to settle, settle down and get a, get a regular job. And, and that's how you find happiness.
3: Nice lesson. Oh, um, what about, I'm still looking at my notes. Uh, what about the whole thing with Strago and his friend?
4: Yes, that's another weird little aside, which doesn't really serve much except to you know teach, except to let Strago learn probably the most powerful uh, lore in his arsenal, which is pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of a lot of these side quests just seem to exist to. Power up your characters, so there's there's less of a getting the band back together and more of a oh you guys are going to need some heavy firepower to take on kefka well don't worry we've we've lined up some pretty sweet cherries for you
3: well, strago and Realm had never been very much assimilated into the party they came in late as we said before, so you know, it's not like, uh, oh, hey, we have to come, like the party comes in and be like, oh, no, Strago's so sad because he has a sad backstory. We need to help him work through his psychological issues so we can, you know, bring him back into our little family. No, it's more like, oh, okay, guys, I'll come back to the party. But first I have to deal with this friend of mine who's kind of a pain. And then, yeah, all right, I'll come on in because what else do I have to do? Sure, I'll in realm, you want to come along. Sure, let's do that. Um, and yeah, all right, this part of the game is also about finding a purpose in life. Um, I have in my notes, Realm says, quote, You gave Grandpa a reason to go and defeat something that had tormented him for decades. So, you know, now that Strago has defeated this monster, he has a purpose in life again, now he can go off and defeat Kef- Kefka. So, yeah, it's all, it's part of the the theme of this part of the game, sure. But, yeah, it's it seems... Um, I don't know. It's I have a distance from Strago that I don't have with the other characters. I'm saying I don't care, Strago. I just I don't care about you. I'm sorry. I mean, okay. it's it's int- go go
4: ahead. Uh, no, I mean that's fair. He's he's very late to the party, and his only real issue is oldness.
3: <laughs> but he still has that lore. I mean, lore has this, you know. Old time equality, you know. Lore comes from the distant past, and so he gets. Uh, it's interesting that he gets his most powerful lore and, um, when he is able to defeat something from his distant past with like his oldest friend. So um, he, I guess you could say that his um, his age is his strength or something. Maybe that's the moral of this little story.
2: I don't know' it's a you you were saying that so these these almost seem self-contained in a way yeah. these these little character vignettes I think it's interesting sort of if, if you pull back for a bit and look at games in general this is this is the part of the game where the player really has input over the direction that the narrative goes for the first time it's not really on rails uh, the the you know, like we said earlier, you can take three characters and go and defeat Kefka, and then I don't know what what happens to all the characters that you didn't pick up along the way where I guess that their stories end with you know, helping the children or sort of snowballing this girl thinking her boyfriend's still alive or whatever and this is i mean open open world and emergence are not new things in games at this point, but it's sort of new for Final Fantasy. And it's it's sort of new for a narrative RPG, at least as far as I can tell.
3: I mean, I don't. I played some RPGs at the time, and yeah, this is, this definitely seems like a, a new thing. So yeah, I'm I'm concurring. Don't have much to add, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, I mean, they, they were the old like Ultima games, but they were they were so different. Or like the, the original Zelda had an open world, but also had a sentence for a story. This is the first time you really get a narrative that's this strong in an open world. And, you know, if you were to add 5,000 more of these little vignettes, you'd have Skyrim. Huh,
3: that's true. Which is why I'm not a, as big of a fan as that sort of uh, game. Because I do like having a narrative, even, you know, even if you have a some little side stories, you know, Final Fantasy VI does have a through line, you do have a goal, and most of the character stories uh, do relate to each other in some way, you know, like Celis' story isn't just Celis, it, um, you know, crosses over with Locke's story, or Edgar and Sabin, and so on, so they aren't just, you know, off in their own little world, like some of the other ones. Um, So it's a nice uh, combination where you have uh, both this plot that's strong, yeah, and some side stories that are unrelated. So I guess I'm just repeating what you said. Yeah, I agree. I agree, guys. Well,
0: let's let's. I think we're reaching about our hour. So uh, unless anybody has any last minutes, let's uh, leave the the week five discussion there. But uh, we will have, of course, week six, which is of course our which our eighth episode because we're completely off on counting now. Uh, and that episode will be through the end of the game. So we'll get to talk about the Kefka's Tower, the, the end of the game, and then we'll kind of be able to zoom the lens back a little bit and look at the game as a whole and how it's influenced future video games and, and anything else that, that we want to wrap up for the club. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. No problem. And
3: uh,
4: <laughs>
0: until then, we'll uh, you can find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably 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 doesn't deserve.